we're going to talk about transformation, transformational process um, in in a variety of systems. And I I do have your your image for this. Um, the circle, the circular diagram that you have. Right. So, um, how would you like to introduce this topic of transformational change? Well, I like to say that uh, I was, during the time Virginia was alive, I was also studying to become a Jungian analyst. And I had a, a need inside me to interrelate Virginia's work with Carl Jung. And uh, so I devised this chart uh, combining Jung and Virginia. And uh, the most exciting thing about it to me was that I showed it to Virginia and uh, she looked it over carefully and she said, I think it's great and you need to add practice. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see that practice is on the upper uh, left uh, side there. And uh, she was so practical. <laughs> Um, and of course we have to keep practicing and so I added that uh, and I think that it came out uh, in a way that I could look at systems in cultures as well as in individuals and families <clears throat> uh, that was the exciting thing about it to me I presented it to Jungian groups and uh, they also were uh, very, uh, I felt it was uh, representative of Carl Jung as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that to me is very exciting. That had to get combined inside me. And uh, this was one of the first manifestations of it getting put together inside me. Can you give, can you give the audience a basic introduction to who Carl Jung was and who yes. Virginia here was? Um, before we get to this change model, um, especially as you sort of, as you've distilled or you've tried to integrate um, some major pieces from their work, can you just start by giving us an introduction to your experience of Virginia Satir and then Carl Jung? Yes. Well, uh, my basic experience of Virginia is she took complex ideas that other people wrote many words about and distilled them into clear, simple words that large numbers of people could understand in all cultures. Mm. And she put it together with um, uh, role play and action. And so the body was involved and that made it translate between cultures. I think Virginia's deepest mission was to uh, contribute to a change in consciousness in the world. And so she didn't write in, quote, professional language. She wrote to the masses of people. Uh, and that was her great gift. Uh, that mm -hmm. was, she intentionally used very simple words. So some people have thought that that was indicative of simplicity in her thinking. If you look at it very closely, uh, it is complex ideas put in very simple terms that are understandable and usable mm -hmm. to people all over the world. Mm -hmm. 
How would, how would you compare and contrast that specific aspect of Virginia's work with Carl Jung's work? Because well, Carl, Carl Jung's Jung, work is, uh, is much is, more dense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, Carl Jung, uh, the story about him is that once someone was commenting on something he had written and uh, they said, this uh, Dr. Young doesn't really fit right here. And he said, well, it must because I thought of it while I was writing this page. <laughs> so I think that he, he, uh, he, he had a flow from the unconscious sometime and uh, it wasn't as clear as it might be. But on the other hand, if you digest uh, much of what he wrote, he moved uh, from Freudian thought to a growth psychology. And uh, he saw a quote problem or um, a, uh, a symptom as a block in the natural flow of growth that happens in everyone. And so uh, it was just an obstacle along the path, not a neurosis, not, well, he used that word sometime, but not, um, not something that couldn't be passed over to continue the natural growth that was instinctual in everyone. And was that in alignment with Virginia's way of thinking about symptoms? And or? that's exactly as Virginia thought. And he also brought in the spiritual aspect uh, in his way of thinking. Uh, he had a respect, a sense of deep respect for each individual as Virginia did. Mm -hmm. uh, Virginia spoke of a sense of awe for the uniqueness of each person. And I think Carl Jung also saw that uh, the, the, the uniqueness of the person and the manifestation of the ability to grow and change and transform in each person. Laura, can I ask you, just by way of also furthering, explain your, your experience with Carl Jung's work and Virginia Satir, what's the difference between a Jungian analyst and a family therapist? You know, oh in, my. Yeah. Uh, well, Carl Jung tended to work with individuals, though he was quite aware of systems and he made some attempt to uh, analyze cultural systems as well. Um, he was interested in the unconscious of the individual and the unconscious of a culture. Uh, and he didn't... Uh, look so much at family system that the person um, developed in as being a major factor in, in their uh, psyche. Uh, so Virginia saw an individual living within a system, within a system, within a system. So the intra-psychic in a family, in a culture, uh, in a um, the field of all knowledge of humanity over time, uh, she saw us living within systems and that was her major focus. Mm -hmm. Though it wasn't outside of, of Carl Jung's thinking, it wasn't at all his major focus. Mm -hmm. He was interested in the unconscious. Mm -hmm. 
you feel that there was something missing in each other's work that was a was in your experience a big blind spot for for the both of them like maybe young would have really benefited from some of the things that virginia was doing and vice versa as you studied them well, certainly young would have benefited from the systems analysis uh, of family systems uh, virginia might have come sooner to recognize her work as having a spiritual base mm. had she uh, uh, tied in with Jung. But in time, she did come to that place. Mm -hmm. so you, her you work, did. I think, was always had a spiritual base, but uh, she only recognized it in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm curious about as you integrated these two huge bodies of work and and as we talk about transformational change as such a as a broad topic for for all human beings what are the pieces that you took from virginia's work and what are the pieces that you took from carl young's works that um that were similar that were similar between them and then were also different so this idea of sameness and difference right like uh-huh yeah virginia was very positive uh, and the idea in the middle of my diagram of death and rebirth is, is Carl Jung's, uh, because death comes before rebirth, uh, the dark night of the soul, uh, Jung writes about. Virginia, uh, didn't look so much as, at death as she did birth. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's one one uh, difference. Um, all the um, steps to the left of uh, movement toward uh, integration and more wholeness are from Virginia. Uh, um, I don't think Carl Jung walked us through the steps of transformation. Uh, generally, consciousness brought transformation in Jungian thought, but to Virginia, there were very specific steps that happened. We had to tell the truth without blaming. We had to have courage. Uh, we had to have humility. Yes. Uh, compassion for oneself and for the other. Uh, whereas Jung talked about increased consciousness, but these other traits that had to happen, like focus on this transformation and practicing what one had learned and, and forgiving, forgiving, which wasn't easy for Virginia. Uh, but an important piece of, of, uh, of her thinking was forgiving of ourselves and other people uh, in order to move on. So that, that piece about forgiveness, you didn't really find so much in Carl Jung's work? No, not really. Yeah. No, Jung, Jung took what was in the unconscious that came in dreams, uh, and followed that 
but he didn't direct us to steps like this that Virginia did mm -hmm. in order to move from uh, the coping mechanisms to growth. Can I ask you, um, how did Carl Jung's work benefit you, your life? I mean, because one, one of the things as I'm listening is like, it seems that Virginia's work was very practical. Like you could see there was steps, the things that would change in relationship. And then Carl Jung's work sounds very internal, sounds, you know, working through the unconscious, right. working through dreams, working through fantasy. Um, how, I'm, I'm sure they had benefit, but were, there, were they different in, in nature or were they... Could you describe well, I think that? I, I dove into my unconscious more deeply when I was in Zurich. Uh, and my dreams were uh, coming frequently and intensely and uh, directed my life. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't mm -hmm. had that experience with Virginia. So it's, it's like the energy that you connected to in the unconscious manifested and came more into your, more and more into your conscious life. And it would in, it direct and influence you in that way. Very much so. I, uh, I, I gained a deep respect for my unconscious and I was able to uh, follow what I dreamt. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I had foretelling dreams. Uh, I just didn't know what riches were in the unconscious. How, how do you want to share your model? Like, I want, I want to, to hear from you. What's the best way to? Well, the most profound part of it that was consistent with Virginia and with Carl Jung is that this circle process is ongoing throughout life. It never ends, mm -hmm. it never ends. And what we hope will happen is that we'll move around the circle more rapidly uh, as we live longer and as we understand our coping mechanisms that we will move past them sooner and re-enter the circle and, and move toward transformation. But then another foreign element is bound to happen and uh, another separation and a sense of wounding uh, and abandonment will happen. Uh, and that's Virginia's crisis. Uh, the idea of mis dismembering uh, in the crisis, the chaos is, is a Jungian thought. It's, it's like being pulled apart like your body is literally pulled apart, you're dismembered. Uh, so I think the, the graphicness of that and the intensity of that chaos came through from Carl Jung's thinking. Um, so, so maybe we could just start with the basic outline of, of the transformational change. So where, where would you begin? And maybe you can walk us through the major components of it. All right, I, I'd like to walk through it as an individual and then as a culture as well. Okay. So uh, the top of the chart begins with a sense of equilibrium, a sense of well-being, uh, calmness, 
centeredness uh, that we have at times when we feel an integration. And then the foreign element comes and this separates us from ourselves. We feel wounded, we feel abandoned, we feel betrayed, uh, and we have pain. This is inevitable in life. It's going to happen. And the dismembering sense happens. And then I borrowed this term from sociology, this term liminality, sort of betwixt and between is what liminality is defined as. It's like you can't go back to where you were, mm -hmm. but you don't know how to go forward. And so you're in this betwixt between place and feel confused and afraid. Uh, and at that point, to deal with the fear and the confusion, we fall into coping mechanisms or defense mechanisms. Uh, and these uh, are serve well, I found, at times uh, in, in cultures like in, in uh, Russia during the time of communism, to be able to deny some of the pain that was happening was essential uh, because the next terrible thing would happen the next moment. And it, it was impossible to bear so many mm -hmm. pains. Uh, but we fall into these coping mechanisms and the, they're on the chart as uh, projection denial, uh, depression, suicidal thoughts, homicidal thoughts, uh, a deep deflation. Uh, and we're coping, just coping, not growing, just coping, just managing to keep our heads maybe slightly above water. And what's required for the change is both from Jung and Virginia, but particularly from Jung is the numinous kind of experience, the experience of light, uh, the experience of something that would um, uh, allow you to see things from another angle. And sometimes it's like seeing a movie, like hearing something from a friend, like mm -hmm. maybe a dream. Uh, can I just uh, can I just backtrack you a little bit, Laura? Because yes. I just want to I want to ask you two questions. One is you made this distinction with this example in in Russia about where maybe certain coping mechanisms are healthy. Can you describe to the audience when 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 we're in sort of a healthy coping with some of these maybe more basic uh, defense mechanisms like denial or projection? Is there is there a healthy use of them and then unhealthy use? Is, is that question yes. make sense? Well, I think when they're unconscious and so they turn on in an automatic way and we don't really know what we're doing, uh, this is an unhealthy mm. way to cope with it. Beautiful, okay. Yeah. yeah, but when we are conscious that it's all too much right now and we just need to divert our attention. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then that's, I think, a healthy use of a uh, coping okay okay so the awareness the consciousness around what what you are doing um if you're aware okay that this is me denying my experience because there's just too much to hang on maybe i need to compartmentalize it so that i yes. don't go insane that's that is a healthy yes. use of it 
Yes. Great. And, and in your chart, what flows from coping, and this is a word that's outside the circle, deflation. Can you describe or define that? What is deflation? Well, on the opposite end is inflation, a sense of well-being which can lead to inflation. Uh, okay. Deflation is uh, a loss of sometimes a sense of who you are and what your life is about. Uh, sometimes a sense of desperation, uh, loneliness, uh, sense of being lost. Uh, is that uh, is that a Jungian term, or where does that language come from? Of, of that, that's a Jungian inflation deflation. Okay. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's akin to being connected to life force or connected to your capital S self. Is that fit yes, in terms I of? Yes, I think so. Yes, yeah, so that. The deflation would be a loss of sense of self. Okay. Yeah. And when that happens, one is in like the dark night of the soul, as Jung would call it, uh, lost, uh, mm -hmm. not knowing where to turn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the wonderful thing about the unconscious is that it wants to break through. It wants to give you light. Uh, so there's something inside you that wants to give birth to a new way of seeing. Uh, but it's frightening. It's frightening because it's really a giving up of the old way. Uh, it's letting go. It's a kind of surrender mm. to what might come next. And uh, I found that dreams are one of the best ways that I've found to find a way to re-enter. Uh, because they give me another way to see things. But talking with a friend who can help you see another angle, uh, something that will add light. So this now you're at the bottom of the circle. I think you're describing the numinous experiences that allow us to, to re-enter. Is it re-enter life or re-enter? Re-enter life, yes. Yeah. Feeling alive. Uh, seeing things from a, another angle in the darkness, seeing a little bit of light in the tunnel, seeing some light at the other end. Mm -hmm. uh, some hope. Hope comes with it. And so you describe dreams as a, as that would, that would be a, an example of a numinous experience, Laura? That well, not can, all dreams, but some mm -hmm. dreams, yes. Some dreams can. Some dreams can guide you in that way. Um, would you describe Virginia's use of uh, family reconstruction as a numinous experience? It can be, yes. It can be a, like a new way to see what's happening to you mm -hmm. so that you get uh, free from the inside, free you, through the inside, you gain freedom. Uh, mm -hmm. So she would offer a new way of seeing. But Virginia, um, created in sculptures uh, and pictures uh, what Jung saw in dreams. She created a picture on the outside of you to say, does it look like this? You know, and then when you could see it and it fit with your insides, there was a sense of relief. But Jung was very careful not to lead the unconscious in any way, so he wouldn't create something on the outside that would be an image. I, I think Virginia's gift was she could join with you 
in creating these images so that you were totally free to say yes it fits or no it doesn't fit mm. uh, so you didn't follow blindly the the teacher and say okay that's it uh, because she partnered with you in such a way to work with the unconscious that you really felt the partnership and you felt able to say yes that's it no that's mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. and so she egged along the the unconscious by creating images for us to consider uh of what might might fit for us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i guess maybe the words with where it has equilibrium at the top it might mm -hmm. might also include the word known like what's known to me and then at the bottom, it seems like you're descending into the unknown. Yes. Unconscious. That's good. That's good. Yes. Yeah. Because the way that you're describing it is, and, and I'm just trying to think about therapy and what, what is happening in the therapeutic process, which is you know, a parallel to the process of growth and transformation, hopefully. Yes. Um, it, what, what is happening that allows us to descend into the unknown and, um, I guess, how, how would you maybe relate that to your own experiences of where do you take people and how, when, when you're, I guess, do you see yourself actively inviting them into the unknown in order to, to have the numinous experience? Because if, if you're within the known, then it's, you're not going to experience that. You're just, you're using the same schemas, the same well, patterns, right? I, I don't think that we invite people into it. I think people fall into it. Mm. Okay. And yeah. that's when they come to us, right. when they fall into this uh, unknown and they feel frightened or they feel uh, confused, or they feel mm. uh, chaos in their lives, they've fallen into it. So they're you already know? there. They're, they're already there. there. Yeah. yeah, it happens. We don't have to invite people into it. It, it happens. Yeah. yeah. I guess I see a tension between when someone someone is hanging on to a defense mechanism they're at one time feeling the chaos and the unknown but then hanging on to the defense mechanism for a sense of control for example i'm thinking of like ocd right like their energy is going into that particular pattern of control of, of washing hands um and it's it's a resistance to a full um delving into the unknown Right. And I think so. So see the job of the therapist just to help them be aware that that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. When you wash your hands, often you feel more secure. Mm -hmm. It helps you feel secure. You're looking for some way to feel secure and you can't imagine any other way. Mm -hmm. So it's a becoming conscious of that uh, defense mechanism and how you use it uh, that allows you to have more choice. Mm -hmm. It's consciousness that gives choice. Mm -hmm. Do you have a metaphor that you like to use for this reentry? You know, when you when you fall, when you fall, like, is it is it like you're trying to get into a boat or you're trying to surf along the waves? Like, what's a way of a relationship that that one can think of that's a healthy relationship at this point when it is um, you're in this point of deflation and you're you're trying to reconnect to life. What is the relationship to the unknown or what's the relationship to uncon the unconscious or? Hope, hope maybe is the, the big issue. And I think we as therapists carry that. 
mm -hmm. for the person. It's uh, what in social work is called like lending your ego mm -hmm. uh, to help sustain the person so they can imagine not having this coping mechanism. Imagine uh, letting go of that uh, because it can hold on to you. Mm. Is there an image of how you think about the relationship between yourself and the, and the people or the person that you're helping? Um, and, and maybe a, a metaphor or an analogy that illustrates the way that you like to think about how you are in relationship to, to others. I, I described uh, the therapist as putting on their x-ray vision so that you see inside the person that little screaming baby that just says, I want to be loved. Mm. You see inside the spirit of the person, the, the higher self. And so you connect with that higher self. Virginia uh, said in the 80s, when she began to talk about the spiritual aspects of her work, she said, um, in order for any transformation to happen, I have to connect with this essence of the other person, the, the deep uh, spiritual essence of the other person. And when that's done, then change can happen. Mm -hmm. So I think that's my image is you put on your x-ray vision and you see uh, that higher self inside the person that uh, self that's connected to the great self, to the life force. Does, does your way of being and your way of perceiving the people, the person that you're with, does that help bring people to more fully experiencing a numinous experience? Is that an important well, I aspect think of it? To be holding that, that they've lost sight of. Yeah. Uh, gives them more courage mm -hmm. to be holding that for them and reflecting it back to them. Mm -hmm. okay. Am I, am I speaking to what you're asking me? Yeah, I think so. That, that, um, well, we're, we're still at the, this, the bottom part of the circle trying, and I'm trying to understand what the numinous experience is, how people can be supported in the face of that. Yes. And, and yeah, what's, yeah, what is, what is that? That seems like a critical phase in this process. You know, I, you get into the foreign element, there's, there's a crisis you experience, you can't go back anymore. You maybe go to defensive coping and then there's this transition. There's this, there's the opening of a, of, to make a conscious mm -hmm. choice. Um, you know, I, I'm confident that the unconscious will show the person the way. And I'm confident that I'm listening with them mm. uh, to find that. And I don't know what it will be. It will be a surprise to me. If I think I know, then I'm really off because it's unique for each person. So I'm, I'm listening with them for their mm. guidance. Mm. That's such a beautiful, that's, yeah, I think that speaks to the image because it's a, it's a stance. I'm with you. I don't know, and I'm willing to be surprised with you, but I'm here with you. You know, right. I think that's such a beautiful image because it can be so scary being in the unknown. Yes. yes, and I absolutely know 
in myself that that the light will come that that i will be led by them and we will both perhaps be surprised mm -hmm. but i know that it will happen i think this is where the the therapist use of self or connection to self is so important because of i think i don't know if it's the strength or it's the willingness to stay in that unknown to not have to to quick answer or to give a quick right. advice or to to fall right. into some kind of thing out of fear right. um, i think it, it to hold that space just hold that space mm -hmm. for what's going to break through knowing that it will mm -hmm. Yeah, there's such a tremendous trust in the way that you describe it and in the way yes. that you work that I really appreciate that you're not f rushing or fo forcing anything, but you're patiently waiting for this force, which you're calling the unconscious, to show the light. Um, yes. could, could you describe that in any more detail? Um, anything that's important to that particular part of the, the process of change? I'm thinking of a client of mine who dreamt uh, that she lived up on the mountain in Colorado and she and her husband and uh, she, she dreamt that there was a, a treatment center there for adolescents and her husband was the director of that center and she had to go there. And uh, it was the way out of that darkness. It, her husband was her teacher and she needed to listen to him. Uh, he was there and treating the adolescent in her. Mm. And it was such a huge relief when I said this to her about her dream. Yeah. Uh, of course, she said, and uh, she was a Freudian analyst. He was a Jungian analyst. Uh, that didn't really isn't what made the difference but the difference was that she hadn't really been listening to him and she hadn't uh, revealed to him parts of her adolescent self that were uh, causing her a lot of pain in life uh, but the dream directed her to to trust him uh, to lean toward him to go to his center for treatment of her adolescent self uh, so this was her breakthrough uh, that came in a dream. Mm -hmm. Perhaps that helps to clarify. It, it does, yeah. And it, it reminds me of something I, I recently read about um, where Virginia emphasized her, the importance of observation and um, mm -hmm. the relationship between observing and, and theoretical knowing that if, you know, if the theory didn't match what she was observing, she'd be very quick and willing to throw out the theory and go back to being an observer yes. and with what you're describing with how important it is to listen, to be patient, yes. to trust. I mean, that's all in the stance of observing. And yes. that's, I think that's a beautiful and con concrete. I mean, it's, it's, it's mm -hmm. a letting go. It's a letting go of that. I need to know it's a letting go of our addiction to, um, yeah, the known world or the known patterns of how we engage with life. So, yeah, I appreciate what you're saying because there's certain there's certain attitudes that are that are there that a therapist could use or any individual could use. When I'm lost, I have to try to get to a sense of trust. I have to trust that that light is coming or life is there, 
listen and to look. And sometimes it's too overwhelming. So you need some help. So you, you need someone to right. stay beside you, to look with you and to, to, to be- hold the space and, mm-hmm. and to believe in you, believe that you'll find your way mm-hmm. and to be willing to follow you to find mm-hmm. your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think that as, as you describe your ability to hold that space, to have that faith or to, to trust the unconscious, that right. some kind of new, because in the dream, the dream provides a map. It's a, it's a, it's a pathway, an insight, um, a different way of looking that you described, a different yeah. perspective that one can then not just think about, but one can live. You know, how do I relate to my husband uh, from my adolescent? How do I relate to my own adolescent self in a way that's maybe more open or accepting or something like that? Or, or let him touch that part of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I've kept secret. Mm-hmm. Into that, into our relationship, that part of me, mm-hmm. into our relationship. Right. And to think of that part of her as a resource rather than something to be ashamed about, to keep in, yes. the, ba- in the basement or something. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, you want to move to the next part, which is movement towards transformation? This is... Some of the words are responsibility of mourning, commitment. These words are all from Virginia because she is the one that gives the map. She is the one that gives the practicality. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, I, I think the courage, you know, Virginia had her, her seven C's and her seven P's. I don't even know what they all are now, but courage and <laughs> commitment were among them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have those on my chart and uh, truth telling it's uh, sometimes so hard to tell truths that we don't want to believe but it's like facing the reality of things and allowing ourselves to mourn uh, with compassion for ourselves and for other people uh, that we're, we join the human race again in, in our own frailties is there a central con- uh, concept that organizes this part? So from the numinous experience towards transformation, what's, what's maybe the, the, maybe there's a bunch of things happening, um, but what are, what are the, the things that are happening that, that help us trans- transition with the numinous experience, the, the insight, the dream? Well, I think um, we, we walk into... Uh, what we were defending against. And these traits on the left side enable us to walk into whatever we were defending against. Okay, so I'm going to uh, slow, slow you down. I think that's a big idea. So yeah. we walk into what we were defending against. We're, yeah. we're, 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 facing, we're facing what we fear. Right. We're facing what, we're, what we hate, um, what we think we hate. Uh, we're facing our hurt. We're facing our trauma. Right. And, and then that's where the words like responsibility comes in. Is that like, and I hate to think linearly about this, but I just wonder if there, with these words, is there, is there a way that you would sequence it? Or is there a way that you like at, at this point, it's, is it responsibility is, is the first place to begin that uh, this is my experience and, maybe 
looking at these words. Um, I, I like your question. I, I think that I try to put them in sequence because mm -hmm. courage is the first step, I think. And then telling your truth without blaming yourself or anyone else. Uh, and then I just tied right in with that is humility uh, to join the human race and, and admit your frailty. And, uh, and then I think you, the commitment and focus kind of go together that you're committed to continue this path and to stay focused on it. And in order to do that, you have to mourn what wasn't and what isn't. Mm -hmm. uh, to be more curious than blaming was one of Virginia's uh, uh, descriptions of the detective hat. Uh, it allows you to be more curious than blaming. So you're exploring. Uh, and, and so that curiosity becomes important. But with this comes increased consciousness uh, and uh, increased compassion for yourself and all humanity, for the human uh, condition that you're a part of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you kind of rejoin the human race and, and forgive yourself. Uh, and then uh, toward the top on the left is increased self, self connection. So you're more deeply connected to yourself and to the higher self, uh, to the mm -hmm. life force. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I see increased congruence, connection, connectedness, compassion, consciousness with self and other. Uh-huh. Um, and I just want to come back to what you were saying because I, I wonder if a way of describing it is responsibility, commitment, courage, curiosity. These are these seem to be very important internal resources that allow us to move through transformation. And you know, even though I was asking, is there a linear sequence? There's somewhat of a linear sequence. Uh, to somewhat, the, yes. Yeah, but then also it's it's like a it seems like a foundational. Um, attitude, attitude or, yeah. or um, way of being with the experience that allows you to move through it. And then therefore you can experience more, uh, what gets expressed maybe is more congruence in the experience of greater connection right. and compassion. Um, so I, I was just thinking it, linear in the sense that some of these things may be things you actually do. Okay. So now it's time to make a commitment to this part in your life and then um and then you know but un maybe underlying it is like there's a um there's a sense of responsibility for for yourself throughout right and i, I don't think we consciously say well i'm going to make a commitment to this i think this is where the therapist comes in uh, most of the time is uh holding the person's hand to allow them to have uh, the courage to walk into what it is they've been defending against. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, on our own, I think we can have generally an attitude in our life of commitment to become more conscious. Mm -hmm. Like it's the highest goal that it's what's life's about. <laughs> yeah, beautifully put. Yeah. Um, and, and I think um, I've, 
I think it is, you know, because Virginia had those the, within the self-esteem maintenance kit, the courage stick. So she mm -hmm. sort of describe an actual um, an image that people might actually use um, or think about that they're going to face their fears, but take their courage along with them, you know, as it was just to face it. Um, okay, so then as we're moving through those phases of courage, of humility, of curiosity, and then there's a greater, there's an expansion uh, of consciousness that happens. Can you describe the next, yeah. the next phase of the transformation well, of change? I think it, it just begins to happen. This transformation begins to happen so that we've kind of integrated uh, whatever we were falling apart about on the other side and it's uh, and the energy transforms. Uh, energy is, uh, uh, well, energy was Carl Jung's word for God. Uh, life force is Virginia's word. The energy transforms so that you're seeing things a new way and you've integrated it into yourself. Uh, and the transformation comes upon you. You can't make it happen. It comes upon you as you, as you do all the things in movement toward a transformation. It's the part of the process of rebirth, but we can't make a rebirth happen. It comes upon us as we do these things. Mm -hmm. I think this, this is a very important point and, and one that I'm, I'm not quite getting at this moment because I think as we're living in a, in a, in a capitalistic um, society, we think, okay, if I want something, I can go to the store and I can go get it, right? Uh -huh. I, pay, I pay the money and I make it happen. But what, what you're saying is, in, and I'd like you maybe to describe a little bit more, what's, what's unique about this transformation? You can't make it happen. It comes upon you. This is a very specific way that you're describing it that, that um, I wonder if you could make even clearer. Energy is not tangible. Uh, it's not something you can hold on to. It's something in constant motion. Mm -hmm. And your attitude uh, and your openness to change uh, allow you to walk toward it. Uh, and then as you walk toward it, uh, you become more conscious of the new learnings and that brings the transformation. The greater consciousness brings it. Uh, you can't make consciousness happen either, though you can move toward it. Uh, you can grapple with it and uh, stay on the edge of it and listen to your dreams and listen to your intuitions and uh, move toward the light. Uh, but you can't make the energy transform. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. You know, when, what you're describing makes me think of, there's a, there's, a general, there's a general idea that we should all be more loving to ourselves. And, and that sounds nice. We, I should be more self-loving. Right. And um, 
but I think if, if I haven't gone through transformational change, the notion of self-love will fall within the same pattern of it's something I have to do. So then I define self-love as I eat right, or I exercise, or I read lots of books, and I, you know, it's this pro maybe this productivity kind of thing, but I don't feel really loving towards myself. So it's it's a difference between doing something, and then I guess what I'm trying to understand more is it, it's not something you can force upon yourself. Um, but what what is the difference between that? Right, making a change of like maybe I'll change my behavior and and stop smoking, and a transformation where something in my consciousness shifts, and then behavior likely changes from that. It's a it's a different thing you're describing, Laura, and I just I want to make it as clear to people because this is very relevant to the different models of therapy. Different models of therapy intervene or right. support different types of change. Yeah. Well, sometimes you do change the behavior and that leads you toward the transformation of energy. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's not a bad thing to do, to change the behavior. Uh, but that alone won't bring the transformation. The transformation comes uh, with a change of your way of, uh, of being, your way of... Um, relating to life mm -hmm. as a whole. Uh, your way of um, transformation comes with attitudinal changes that are very deep inside you. Uh, these attitudes of compassion and uh, awareness of common humanity and being a part of humanity but these, um, and, and your personal awareness that happens through dreams or images or uh, mm -hmm. reconstructions or whatever, so that you, you see life differently. Can you give you an example? See mm -hmm. it differently. Yeah, could uh, you give an example, Laura? Well, maybe an example is right now my pain my pain is uh, from a disease called rheumatoid arthritis, but I am not my pain. Uh, I am having that experience. Uh, and um, I am more than that. Mm -hmm. So I constantly am aware of my connection to life as being much bigger than the pain. And uh, that is a transformation of the pain, though it doesn't go away. It's a, it's a, pain is different than suffering. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think of myself as suffering. I'm having pain, but I'm, I'm more than the pain. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that helps it. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things you said a moment ago is that it, it it's a change in the way that you're relating to life and i think if it, it sounds like you're you're experiencing the pain but it it doesn't become all of life um it's, it it's, doesn't run my life it doesn't yeah it doesn't run your life it, it exists but 
what my existence is more than the pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How how do you relate to the experience of pain itself? Say say more about what you're asking me. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, Viktor Frankl would talk about what is the meaning of your suffering, right? Yeah. Find a meaning within it, um, and when when you talk about relating to life and the attitude that we take with it, um, whether, you know, your pain is a part of life. It's a part of your life at this moment mm-hmm. and how, how you're relating to it, how you're relating beyond it. I think they're, they're related. They're, they're not the same, but um, they have to do with coping and, and coping in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering if you can, if it fits to t- describe that in, in light of what we're talking about of transformation, that, um, you know, it's been my teacher. Yeah. Uh, my pain has been my teacher. I, I'm humbled by it. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm slowed down. I uh, have to think about things I'm doing and prioritize them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I. Uh, I can't not have it. Uh, So I have to embrace it and breathe with it Mm. and Mm -hmm. uh, move with it and recognize that it is a part of me. Uh, So there's room for it to be because it is, it just Mm. is. And so I will live in relationship to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's beautifully put, you know, the the idea of allowing pain to be a teacher that you're not you're not trying to fight it. You you're, right. you acknowledge it. You you're embracing yes. it, breathing yes. and moving with it. Um actually if you fight it it only becomes worse. Mhm. Mhm. No, I think that's a great illustration of of what you're talking about by transforming your relation to life you change your relation to all of life including the parts that are really difficult yeah mm-hmm. some final pieces that you want to share about this the transformational cycle well i i think that it's good to try to see it in terms of cultural transformation uh and so i wanted to spend a minute trying to do mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, So I think that um, our culture right now uh, has often been inflated and uh, felt superior and foreign elements come in uh, like now the coronavirus and it does cause separation and wounding and sense of abandonment and betrayal. Uh, and we can fall into copings mm-hmm. uh, that maybe are part of the present riots going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, though there's real reason to riot, there's real injustice that's happened. There's also um, 
a projection of the pain from the wounding onto the world that's happening and carries an extra load. Uh, it makes it more violent, perhaps. Uh, and I think uh, a reentry can happen as we humble ourselves, really humility, as we, uh, and this is uh, difficult to happen when we're focused on America being great again and America being number one, and we're not part of the world. Uh, because reentry would come with having compassion on humanity mm -hmm. as a whole, and that would mean beyond our national boundaries. That would mean uh, humility as a, a nation. Uh, mm -hmm. That would mean uh, awareness of our common humanity as a nation and courage to see that without thinking that it would distract from our own uh, self-esteem. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe that gives some idea of how to I think, walk around it. Yeah, no, I think taking, I think taking this current situation is, is, and looking at, especially those, I mean, looking at the whole cycle that we're moving through and I think moving through repeatedly Mm -hmm. um, but looking at those resources, the movement through change, the movement through transformation is going to require us to be courageous, to be humble, to be curious, compassionately, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. tell the truth without blame, mm -hmm. to be committed, to be committed to what? Our highest values, say, yes. to mourn what's, what's lost and, and the tremendous pain uh, that's occurring, and for each to take responsibility. I think it's a it's a beautiful and powerful uh, vision for for society broadly, and, and a, certainly a movement towards peace. As you said, you know our primary aim is to expand our consciousness, because I think with the expansion of consciousness, we can we can be less violent. Well, that was Virginia's primary goal uh, to help the world be more conscious. Mm -hmm. is that's how, what she saw as a transformation of the world and she really believed in the hundredth monkey idea uh, that when a sufficient number of people uh, become mm -hmm. more conscious then the transformation can happen in human consciousness in mm -hmm. our world she believed that and in fact I've often quoted what she said in 1987 at Mosa when she said uh there's a new energy alive in the world today, and I'm part of that energy. Mm, yeah. uh, and she said, you know, when people can begin to meet, not as doctor, whatever, but as one human being to another, then uh, transformation can happen in the world. And she said, and to this end, I commit my life. Won't you join me? Mm. Wow, that was big. Wow. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting goosebumps hearing you say I that to me. <laughs> I am too. Because she wow. really believed that it could happen and she wanted us to join her. Mm. And, you know, Barbara Jo said a wonderful thing when Virginia died. She, she wrote in an article, Virginia will carry on. And I think 
that she got the message that Virginia's passion was raising world consciousness and uh, that that's what we're carrying on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I feel so joyful to be connected with you that I have a chance to hear from you, to learn from you. Um, I, ex I experience a kind of movement through transformation myself as I, as we were talking yes. to, to be more, even more committed to my courage to move through change and to trust my own uh, resilience or to trust the energy within me um, and to trust the energy within other people that they, that the life within them um, can be trusted uh, even though the coping may be, may be dark. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, we each have the God within, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Virginia's last visit to family camp after I was leading the camp, uh, she threw kisses to the group and said, from the God in me to the God in you. It's the first time I ever heard her say the word God. Mm. Uh, but that's what she was connecting to, uh, that higher self and the other person and that in her and through that transformation could happen in her work with people. Mm -hmm. because they connected on that level mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah and, and I, that's what we we can do with with the world we can connect on that level mm -hmm. and i and i certainly feel connected and appreciative and and profoundly respectful for the divinity within you that you your life force to me is so visible in the body of work that you've is behind you but then also in your presence right in right here right now and so thank i thank you for for being with me today and i can't wait for the next time <laughs>